I would invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4 for the meditation today. And I've entitled it Growing in Groves, Growing in Groves. I am not much of a tree expert at all, uh, except that I enjoy seeing different kinds of trees. And just recently, uh, down on the coast of Georgia, I saw a lot of uh, live oak trees uh, covered with Spanish moss. I drove down with my family uh, down a, um, a driveway that led to uh, what was a former large estate, uh, one and a half miles long, and it was lined with 400 live oaks that created a beautiful canopy um, and uh, provided shade and are, are quite historical. Uh, I also um, have uh, in, in my possession a, uh, a carving that was made from an olive tree in uh, Israel. Uh, it's a carving of a uh, shepherd and uh, staff and a sheep over the back of the shepherd. And have been in the Garden of Gethsemane and seen some olive trees there that uh, they say that some olive trees can live for 200 or 2,000 years. And so perhaps some of those were even around when Jesus prayed in that garden. Um, one tree that I've never seen in person, though I think we have all, we're all aware of, is the sequoias or the redwoods uh, there in California and out west. And I am told that uh, sequoia trees just start um, out of a small seed, uh, about the size of a tomato, which seems a little bit large to us. But uh, for a tree that grows to 350 feet tall at times, 35 stories uh, in, a, in a skyscraper, so to speak, and has a, uh, a diameter at its base of 22, up to 22 feet wide and or, or round and has bark that is many inches uh, thick so that it is pretty resistant to insects and bugs and disease and fire even. Uh, it, it is quite, I'm, I'm told, a sight to behold. And I'm told that those trees can live up uh, to uh, greater than a thousand years as, as well. Um, I'm told those trees get most of their moisture from the fog um, that's uh, uh, way high up there in the mountains or in the forest. And so it's, it's quite an interesting um, site. I'm also told that sequoia trees grow in groves. They grow in groves. And uh, I just want to use that as an analogy, and I'm leaving out one important um, aspect of a sequoia tree till the end. Uh, but uh, in, the, in Ephesians 4, uh, the illustration is that of a body, namely the body of Christ. And Ephesians 1 through 3 talked about the wealth that we have as Christians in Jesus Christ. We've been given every spiritual blessing. And now Paul transitions from his um, exposition of the wealth that we have in Jesus to the, to the walk. He's exhorting us to walk in a manner worthy of the vocation to which we've been called. In verse 1 of chapter 4, he is beseeching us, imploring us. He is pleading with us, begging with us to walk in this manner. And over the course of the last three chapters of Ephesians, he encourages us to walk in unity to walk in purity, to walk in harmony uh, in our relationships outside the church, such as husband and wife, parents, children, employers, employees, and then to walk in victory as uh, we wage spiritual warfare and put on the whole armor of God. 
today I just want to talk about that one theme of walking in unity and really just one aspect of it because Paul takes quite a bit of time unpacking the different graces that we need to walk in unity and in the opening verses. And then he exhorts us to endeavor or put all your effort into go all in to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace in verse three. He grounds the unity that we can practically have and spiritually have together as believers in the unity of the Godhead, the spirit the Lord Jesus Christ, and one God and Father of all. And then he talks about the diversity or um, the, uh, the diversity of unity uh, in, a, in the sense that uh, he, he says here in verses 7 uh, through 12 about unto every one of us is given the grace according to the measure of the gifts uh, or the gift of Christ, rather. And he talks about uh, spiritual giftedness there and particularly four types of spiritually gifted men that have been given to the church. Um, but today we're going to look at the growth of unity, the growth of unity. And the purpose of spiritual giftedness is uh, for the edification of the body, not for spirit, not for selfish purposes. So, for example, in verse 11, he gave some apostles, some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And then verse 13, till we all come into the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of Man, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love, or literally truthing it in love, it may grow up unto him, into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. For from him, or for, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh the increase of the body unto the edifying of itself. Those verses really help us to know how to grow in unity or the product of unity even. And um, there's just simply five main truths I want to uh, give to you, five simple words to write down and for us to pray about. Uh, during this hour. Number one, Christ-likeness. You see Christ mentioned several times in this text in verse 13 and, and 15 and with all the various pronouns. And he's reminding us that we don't need to create unity. We can simply, we need to simply work at maintaining it and attaining it till we all come into the unity of the faith and the knowledge of Christ, the knowledge of God. A second byproduct of unity is maturity. Unity produces maturity. And uh, we see that as he talks about unto, the, 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 unto a perfect man, under the measure of the stature, again, of the fullness of Christ. Now, Paul here is talking about unity within the local body, as well as, I think, uh, unity between believers in the greater body of Christ. And one of the beauties of uh, this prayer call is to know that um, there are many, many different uh, people from many different places and many different churches. And 
uh, even denominations or groups. And we come together uh, for the purpose of, of unity to display Christ-likeness and maturity. And when we do that, thirdly, we want to pray for stability. Uh, we don't want to be like, um, like children in our understanding that are tossed by every wind of doctrine that comes along and about the cunning deceitfulness uh, that is so prevalent, even in what we might call Christendom or even in uh, religious circles today with false teachers abounding and, and so much that is, uh, is, is not biblical and true. I believe a fourth thing that we should pray for, according to this text, as we seek to have unity is Christ-likeness, maturity, stability, and fourthly, loving honesty, loving honesty. I mentioned in verse 15, it says speaking the truth in love, but it could be, uh, and rightly translated, truthing it, although uh, that's a little bit, um, a little bit awkward. But it doesn't have to, so much to say, or it's not limited, I should say, to speaking. It's limited to having uh, a truthful life and, um, and, and living out and speaking truth into the lives of others in love, in love. We don't have the time to go back, but the idea of, of love appears uh, a couple of other times in this text as well, in verse 2, verse 15 here, verse 16, uh, love is the circulatory system, so to speak, of the body of Christ. And um, we've, we've all probably been on the receiving end of truth without love. And that leads sometimes to some brutal uh, brutality, we might even say. But love without truth is nothing less than hypocrisy. So we need to truth it in love. And then, um, the last word might be synergy or cooperation, as it talks here, again, of the analogy of the body and every single part of the body uh, doing its part and making increase under the edifying of itself in love. And so I talked about the idea of growing in groves, and I just want to end with this little fact about sequoias that probably some of you know, but I just learned it recently, and that is that these towering sequoia trees, these towering redwoods, have a relatively shallow root system. The roots only go down about 10 to 15 feet into the ground, which again sounds like a lot, but when you're talking about a 35-story tree, 10 feet isn't very much. But what it does do is that when the roots get down into uh, that depth, they begin to spread horizontally about 60 to 80 feet, and they actually intertwine with the other sequoias in the grove. And that is how they achieve such stability and maturity. And I think that's a beautiful illustration of what we're doing here and what we need to pray for, for the body of Christ. We need that interconnectivity, that interconnectedness. We need to be rooted and grounded in the love of Christ, but we also need to be rooted and send our roots out into the lives of others so that when the storms of life come, when those things that threaten our stability come, we are rooted and have one another in the body of Christ to work toward uh, the, the goals that Christ has given to us. So I would just close by this saying, uh, I would close by saying this rather, 
healthy Christians in healthy churches lead to the revival of religion and the advancement of the kingdom of God. Healthy Christians in healthy churches lead to the revival of religion and the advancement of the gospel and the growth of the kingdom of God. Unity, maturity, and stability.